0: Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm your host, Dr. Brad Starnes, and today we're going to be continuing through the book of James. And we find ourselves still in chapter number—excuse th- uh, me—we finished chapter two. We're beginning chapter three. I keep getting mixed up because I'm preaching through this on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights here at Cedar Shoals, and I get mixed up because the podcast is a little behind. But anyways, um. Before I begin this short exposition there there's really uh I won't have a super long uh dialogue today but anyways I remember when I was um in junior high I think it was the 7th grade um I had a favorite hat it was just a regular old camouflage ball cap you know with a hook on it you know we we wore hooks on our hats back then it was uh the early, early, early 2000s, and, um, you know, it's just what people wore. And um, I got a little tear in this hat, no, tiny, barely could see it. But over time, that little tear, unaddressed, became a giant hole. And I kept wearing the hat, and eventually the hole got so big it wasn't really a hat anymore. And uh, destroyed the hat for all uh, intents and purposes. And so, like the tear in that hat, the human tongue, though small, if not addressed, can destroy so much. And that is what James is driving at here in chapter 3. And I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. He says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And then he goes on to talk about the tongue. And I I think that in some ways um, there were many people uh, who liked to talk but shouldn't. You have to remember that the line between the church and the synagogue at this point in church history was still very much blurred. Uh, they were a lot less organized in their worship service, and often people would stand up to talk, um, wanting to be heard. And James says, uh, many of you shouldn't be teachers. Um, we'll receive the stricter judgment, those of us that teach the Word of God. And so we, we really shouldn't, uh, everybody shouldn't be doing this. And I can certainly say in the local church, we see this sometimes, we have too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Everybody wants to be the pastor besides just letting the pastor be the pastor. And that's a different sermon for a different day. But akin to that is the idea of the tongue. He says, for we all stumble in many things. For we, now we meaning everybody who's a believer, memory's talking to believers, we all stumble, we falter, we are imperfect, we are sinful in many things, many, many different things. And some have sins that uh, more easily beset them than others, and vice versa. And apart from sin, you have just common human error. Uh, we're all imperfect, okay? And he goes on, he says, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man or a complete man, able all, able also to bridle or control the whole body. So he says, we all stumble in many things, but if you can control your tongue, you can control your whole Body. Now, that, that kind of seems odd, doesn't it? I mean, the tongue is such a small part of our body. I mean, we think of our arms and our legs, right? And We think of our brain, our head, and the tongue size-wise is, uh, is rather small, um, but it can do the most damage as he goes on. He says, indeed, we put bits in horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. And so he uses two illustrations here to describe the power of something small. For example, we think of a horse. Now, a horse is a huge beast. I mean, it's a powerful animal. Um, so powerful that even now, in our modern era where we're driving cars and trucks, etc., we measure the power of them using the term horsepower. I mean, that's just a testimony to how powerful the horse truly is um, and what it's able to do. Um, it was man's. You know, they say dogs are man's best friend, but in the early days before the invention of the car, I think you could say horses were men's best friends. They were used to work, travel, et cetera, et cetera. So big, so powerful. And yet a little bridle is able to control this powerful beast. And then he goes on to talk about a ship. Now, we think of a large ship and the rudder in relation to size of the ship Is small, and yet it can move the entire vessel. Uh, Big power in a small package. Now, why would he use these illustrations? Well, think about it. I mean, in this culture, they were very familiar with horses because nobody was driving cars, and they were very familiar with ships because in order to travel – to far away places where you were separated by water. It wasn't like there was airplanes. It was ships. That's what these people knew. James uses illustrations that the people were familiar with. They're showing his uh, talent and skill as an expositor. And so he says, indeed we put these, and then he talks about the ship. Verse five, even so the tongue is a little member in size and boast great things, and it it does boast great things. I mean, we think about all the famous speeches in history. Um, The power of the tongue rules human history. How many, uh, you you read history anyways, it's just you're thrown quotes all around. I mean, uh, being a Navy man myself, the quote that comes to my mind is after the sailors and the Marines stormed Iwo Jima, Uh, Admiral Chester Nimitz, who was a fleet admiral, five-star, said this, that on that day, uncommon valor was a common virtue. And I remember when I was um, at the Reserve Center, uh, where I spent most of my time at, there was a poster up of Admiral Nimitz's quote, um, and that, that will live in infamy. Um we, we think of that. We think of uh I believe it was um gosh, I believe it was Patton that said the the key and I'm paraphrasing was not to die for your country but to convince some other explic uh I think he used an explicit word right there, uh son of a gun to die for his. I mean that's just a common People know that, especially those in the military. We, we think of um, the man that landed on the moon. His name just slipped my mind. It says one small uh, leap for ma- or one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. You know, blah, blah, blah. The list goes on and on and on. The tongue boasts great things. But that's not what James has in mind here, is it? He's not looking at the positive. He's looking at the negative. Go on to verse the rest of verse five. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. It just takes one spark to destroy an entire forest. I remember as a child I was uh there was these commercials with Smokey the Bear and he'd say only you can prevent forest fires and in the in the commercials somebody would put out a cigarette or something like that, something small, and it would just blaze the whole forest. A small word, a single word can destroy an entire family and in this context can destroy an entire church. You see because once a word leaves your mouth, it's out there. You say, well, I can apologize, I can take it back. no you you, you yes, I guess you can, but you cannot make it unspoken. You can't unscramble eggs, as it were. Once it's out there, it's out there. Well, you can say sorry, but you still said it, and the effects are residual. We must tame our tongues. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't stand up and say what's right and what's wrong, according to the Scripture. That's not what James has in mind. The idea here is those that use their tongue for evil purposes... And pride, as we see pride as a main theme going throughout here. Verse 6 And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. No, I mean that. You know, a simple no could have sufficed, right? I mean, he just goes to uh, great lengths to describe the fire of the tongue. Now, in this context, this is a fire that destroys, not a fire that warms, not a fire that protects, but a fire that destroys, that devours, that consumes. Oh, how many examples do we have? I wonder how many churches have been torn apart by wicked words said in the heat of the moment. I wonder how many marriages have been destroyed by words said in unkindness in the heat of the moment. And that little tongue can destroy something that it took the whole body years to build. I'm telling you, you must... You must tame your tongue. If you don't hear anything else I've said so far, and we'll get to the second part, but here's the first part. The tongue is small but powerful. If you're in a place where you can write that down, you need to write that down. The tongue is small but powerful said, the tongue is a fire, world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body, makes the whole body unclean and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Hell fire itself, James said, is the fire of the tongue. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind now that's a marvelous statement isn't it and when we think about the the, we were just talking about the horse it's large it's powerful and yet we tame them to carry us to carry our burdens to race I mean the list goes on and on we think of a of a big dog I mean I've got a Dog, he's a pointer, and he's a pretty large. I mean, he's not huge, but he's pretty big, and yet he's been tamed. He listens to me; he does what I say. And um, had he not, were he wild, I'm pretty sure I've seen him get after some chickens before. I'm pretty sure he could hurt me if he'd so desired. But he's, but he's been tamed. We think of Sea World and these these huge beasts. Like the killer whale that's been that's been tamed and trained by humans, small little humans. That killer whale could could wipe, could take that human out in seconds. Yet yeah, it's been tamed. We think of um, we think of the old circus days where they would tame bears. I mean, that bear if he wanted to, one swipe of his paw could take their head off. And yet in years past, people would tame these these large, powerful beasts. And so every beast has been tamed of mankind. But here's verse 8. And this is the second big idea I wanted to give you. Verse 8. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil. Full. Full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the image, or excuse me, in the similitude, same thing, of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. The second thing I want you to realize is that you and your own strength cannot tame your tongue. You cannot. You cannot. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much self-will you have. You cannot tame your own tongue. The tongue must be tamed by the restraint of the Holy Spirit. And so the more you submit to the Holy Spirit, and the closer you get with the Lord, the more restraint He will exercise over your tongue. Well, why can't I do what I'm on? Because your flesh is fallen. The Spirit's willing, but the flesh is indeed weak. And so, but no man can tame his tongue. Now, that's a fact. That's not up for dispute. We're not here to debate that. That's what the Bible says. And so, whether you believe it or not, it's settled. Because, as Paul said, all Scripture is inspired of God. Therefore, God inspired that statement. It is an unruly, uncontrollable, bad, poorly behaved evil, full of deadly poison. Why is it deadly? Because it kills things. A kind, an unkind word in an unkind manner can kill a relationship. A lying tongue can kill a church or kill a marriage. That's why it's full of deadly poison, because it kills relationships. Deadly poison. And he said, I, just listen to the imagery here. James, yeah, yeah, the big idea is watch your mouth, okay? That's the big idea. But he goes to so much extent to describe it because he wants you to understand this is a big deal. And then he shows the irony as believers when we bless the Lord and yet speak unkindly, harshly, wickedly to a person that's made in the image of the Lord. He said this is hypocrisy. When we say praise the Lord, and then the next minute we curse. And he's not just speaking about uh, explicit language, okay? The four-letter words that we have today today, Besides the S word, most of those, they didn't even exist back then. So that's, he couldn't possibly have been thinking of something that didn't exist. That's illogical. Though I believe it falls under the umbrella because of the intent of the heart when the word is said. But what he's saying is, is any harsh, evil language, not just, not just cuss words, okay? Don't read your culture into the Bible. Let the, let the Bible speak for itself in context. Uh, What he's saying is much broader than just cuss words. It's any evil speech. And he'll go on to explain that later on in chapter 4, but that's beside the point. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same... Opening, can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. In other words, there shouldn't be two different things coming out of your mouth. Just like a spring doesn't shoot out salt water and sweet water at the same time, your mouth should not shoot out blessing and then turn around and shoot out cursing. These things ought not to be so. And so we see, in conclusion, the tongue is small but powerful. Number two, no man can tame the tongue in his own strength. And so what I want you to do today is not only remember that, but to pray and ask the Lord to help you control your mouth. Because submitting to the Holy Spirit is the only way for that to happen. Because when he said no man can tame his tongue, that includes you and that includes I. And so let's remember that. God bless you. Keep studying the book of James and I'll talk to you next time.